As we continue in the book of Ephesians, today we'll be looking at verse 14, the last part of it. But I want to read in the entirety of the passage here from 10 to 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17, as we continue with this concept and theme of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. I'm going to begin chapter 6 from verse 10. I'll stop at 17. Hear the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When we open up the scriptures, any particular passage, very often we will see instruction given to us. We will see commands, imperatives, things we are to do. And this portion of scripture is no exception. We are told that we must be strong in the Lord. That we must be standing firm against something called the schemes of Satan. And we have a lot of directives in this passage. But there's something very easily that we could overlook when we look at a passage of Scripture. We want to see what is it saying, maybe explicitly or implicitly, about our God. What does this passage say about our God? Sometimes we see God's character explicitly described, like in the Psalms. We see His attributes, characteristics. We see even see names for God. But what we see here is something implicit. And we can get caught up in warfare. We can get caught up in the schemes and the power of Satan. And we are not to be ignorant of those things, certainly his devices. But what we must see, don't overlook this, Christian. In this text, we see the provision of God. We see Jehovah Jireh, our provider, giving us what we need for this battle. Now, as we had said, it's a battle that we're all going to go through in Christ. But what has He provided by way of review? He's provided victory. He's provided this armor here, the gospel. And He's provided something else for us today that we'll look at. Now, by way of review, again, we'll look at some of the directives we see. Stand firm. Three times we've seen it. We've had sermons. Stand firm in the evil day. Stand firm in God's truth. And today is no exception. We are to stand firm in the righteousness of Christ, in Christ alone. And how do we do that? A directive is given to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, 
chapters 1 to 3, as we spoke about, speak of our identity in Christ. And we are new creations in Christ. With this new identity, we have a new enemy. We have three. We have the flesh, the world, the devil. And Satan will use this evil world system and he will appeal to our lingering flesh fallenness that still resides in us, for we are not yet glorified, to accomplish certain things. Now, can he dethrone us from our salvation? No. But what he can do is distract us. What he can do is cause us to lose our way, so to say. He can cause a lot of doubts, skepticism. And what we're going to look at today is three particular schemes. Now, we must understand we are not fighting Satan directly in a hand-to-hand combat here. Remember who we are fighting in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Christian, you are making a pilgrimage here through this earth, a place that is not very righteous, a place that is very antithetical to your identity and to your Christ as well in many respects. But one of the things that we must understand before we get to the celestial city, so to say, and we have our inheritance that we'll see in Ephesians 1.11, we will have to endure conflict. And for this spiritual battle, this spiritual conflict, we must have spiritual weapons. We review 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There are many thoughts. There are many speculations, many worldviews, many ideologies that are against Christ and Christ's people. Now, one of the things we looked at last time is the first piece of armor, and we called it the belt of truth, that we are to don this belt of truth. Now, this is metaphorically speaking, we are to put on God's truth and guard our minds with God's truth. And God's truth to put in our hearts and in our minds, which are synonymous in Scripture in many respects, as we replicate the character of Christ. God provides for us in all of these pieces of armor, as today we look at the second piece. As verse 14 tells us, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's it for today. What is the breastplate of righteousness? The second piece of God's armor, six pieces in total. Now, Paul, while writing this, has in mind the Roman soldier. We've seen the depictions, and we see the armor of God. Paul compares the armor to military gear, each piece representing a part of God's strength. And he extends to us that strength, those pieces of armor, when we become his children. He extends to us his protection. And he extends to us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Now a breastplate is issued to each repentant sinner. And what we're going to look at today is this breast, 
this breastplate of righteousness going upon our chest has often been applied as guarding the heart and vital organs. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look specifically at guarding our heart as we make this pilgrimage, as we are are, are being fired at, so to say, with so many, so many fiery darts in the spiritual realm. So one thing I want to talk about here, get this out of the way, and I had a conversation last time speaking about metaphor, one of the brothers here. Speaking of each piece of armor, we must understand that this is metaphoric and not literal pieces. A quote by John Calvin in his commentary. We must not, however, inquire very minutely into the meaning of each word, for an allusion to military customs was all that is intended. So Paul has this Roman soldier in mind. We've been given this armor, but there's something else that I believe Paul has in mind under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that is Isaiah 59, verses 17 to 20. And I'm going to read that for you now. This is very important. Speaking of Christ, he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense his enemies to the coastlands. He will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. For he will come like a rushing steam which the wind of the Lord drives, a redeemer will come from Zion and to those who turn from transgression declares the Lord. So this is the armor of Christ. This is the righteousness of Christ we have. And if we do not protect ourselves with this righteousness, this breastplate, we open ourselves up to attack. We open ourselves up to susceptibility to our own hearts. You see, Christian... You've been given a new heart. The heart transplant has taken its place. Amen. But don't ever underestimate the deceitfulness still that lingers. Satan knows you. Know yourself as well. And most importantly, know your God. Because righteousness is so central and it's so representative of Christ, who is our life. That's why Satan will come after us. With so much unrighteousness. He will try to take us off this righteous path that we're on. We ought not to be surprised about this. Now before we get into the application of putting on this breastplate. Let's look at what we mean by righteousness. It's a purity of heart and conformity to God's divine law or his word. Now used in scripture we see... It's equivalent to holiness, which includes all what we call justice, honesty, virtue with holy affections. Remember that word, holy affections, and righteous affections. You see, righteousness in the scriptures is deemed by God. It's particular to God. It's not a righteousness that the world sees as righteous. No, nothing at all. Now, the Bible standard of righteousness is God's own perfection. And guess what? We can accomplish that. We never could accomplish that. And if there's someone here today that thinks that there's something in them that is pleasing God apart from the righteousness of Christ, 
I pray by the end of the message you will see that that is a lie. That is a lie. So one of the things we want to understand is about this new character, this new armor we've been given. Because Isaiah 64, 6, a very common scripture whenever we talk about man, the study of man. Here is pre-Christ, pre-redemption. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Romans 3.10, none righteous, no one understands. There's none that seek after God. There is no righteousness within you here today apart from Jesus Christ. If there's any questions about that, please see me or Pastor George after service. Religion will deceive you into thinking that there's some righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness, does everyone, can anyone put it on? No, only those who have been born of the Spirit. It's given to believers when they are, and we talked about it this morning, justified. Justified by grace alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God, He made Christ, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. God saved you, not on the basis of any deeds you have done in righteousness, but simply for His mercy. Simply according to the kind intention of his will. So understand, we are not talking about here a self-righteousness. We're also not talking about a moral perfection, as we'll see as well. But what we are asking to do here with the righteousness of Christ is to put it on continually. And as we put it on, we should mirror Christ in many ways. The Christ-likeness, his standards, his, his, his word from the inside will start to manifest itself outside. Now, we have seen the admonition stand firm three times. Now, we will understand that we will only stand firm, first of all, when we have the positional righteousness of Jesus Christ. From the positional comes the practical. We must have this first. We cannot put the cart behind. Before the horse. And one of the things is, what we receive from Christ is now ours. No more dead I owe. It is finished. It is ours. And slowly as we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the breastplate and the armor, it starts to manifest itself into practical, everyday righteousness as well. Now you have to understand what Paul is getting at here. We are to walk as children of light. We are to walk worthy of our calling. As I said last time, I can't be the husband I'm called to be. You cannot be the husband, the wife, the parent, the child. You cannot be the boss, the employee, apart from the power of God and this righteousness of Christ. So this is very specific. Something that we must understand that it is imputed righteousness and truth and righteousness have a relation. So we must put on the belt of truth as well, which is the word of God and the sincerity of our testimony. God's truth must be the standard. So first of all, secondly, that is the imputed righteousness of Christ. We want to understand now why we must put this on. Well, I've alluded to, we live in a world that's very unrighteous. We have an enemy who is all about unrighteousness. He's all about lies as well. So we are going to make the connection as we put this on to guard our hearts. Now, protecting our hearts from what? 
the obstacles, the ensnarements of the enemy. Now we see the language in Proverbs 4.22. Guard the heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Proverbs 4.27. As the heart is very often synonymous with the mind, the totality of one's being, inner being. The mind, the will, and the emotions. How a person thinks in their heart, so they are. And the heart, if not guarded, if not covered with the breastplate of righteousness, can be deceived. Satan's goal is to get you to doubt God's word. Is to get you to live contrary to God's word. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, said this. Satan's masterpiece is this. If he can keep you from believing the truth, he's sure to keep you from obeying the truth. So that positional righteousness sometimes gets stifled in the practical righteousness. So one of the things we want to see here is guarding our hearts from several things. Now, know yourself, Christian. What is it? And you know if you're walking with the Lord at this point in time, for any period of time, you know what you need to guard your hearts of. Think about that, and there's a time for communion when we'll reflect upon that. But there must be a preparation. There must be a daily preparation. Because we do not want to put the armor of God on and the breastplate of righteousness on while we are in the fight. It's got to be done prior to the fight. We do not want to go into war spiritually with the tanks, with the bazookas, with, the, with all the army, with no ammunition. This is why we must prepare prior. So, we have to put on the new self and put off the, the old self. So when you are pursuing righteousness and holy affections... That means something. To walk worthy of your calling, to walk as children of light, you are walking towards righteousness. And by implication, there is unrighteousness which you must walk away from. So, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we want to live in a righteous manner in a satanic, unrighteous age. This is not just about survival mode. This is about thriving mode. This is to be who you're called to be in Jesus Christ. All that we've seen in Ephesians. To be the light of the world. To be the salt of the earth. To have the prophetic ministry that you have to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We want to thrive. This is why we put on the armor of God. But Christian, I don't know if you realize this. As we look into our world, it's not as if we have the home field advantage here. It's getting to be. But nevertheless, we have the power of God and the instruction of God. So, we must know we are, what we are going to encounter. Now, we wrestle in the King James, New King James it says. We don't often wrestle, but one of the illustrations we see is in the mixed martial arts. It's becoming very popular. And it's very different types of opponents. There's something called grapplers. There's those who stand up, fighters, more or less boxers. Every time these fighters go into a fight, there's extensive training. But what they also do is they watch films. They learn their opponent. The same is true for us spiritually. We must know how he's going to attack. And there's three particular schemes I want to look at today that Satan will attack us with 
as it pertains to the breastplate of righteousness and even beyond. We must put on the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, and stand firm in the righteousness of Christ to stand firm against three schemes. Temptation, deception, and accusations. First, the devil tempts. The devil tempts. The devil is subservient to the will of God, but nevertheless, he tempts. He roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Although he is defeated, defeated, he is still operable today. As Martin Luther said, his doom is sure, but yet he remains a dangerous foe. He is active, and is a very good possibility he knows your strengths and weaknesses to some extent, although not being omniscient. Remember, this is a spiritual realm. And a lot of the spiritual realm, a lot of the operation with his cohorts manifests itself in the natural as well. So, now, he is called a tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. And Satan can fill people's hearts with lies. Where do we see that? He did that in Acts 5.3 with Ananias and Sapphira. Why did Satan fill your hearts to lie against the Holy Spirit? Now, there are many temptations that you will encounter. But understanding the films and studying the opponent, we know particularly three areas that he will come over and over again with. And that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And he works in accordance with the world system and our flesh. So, the same way he tempted Eve, he was deceitful. He tempted Eve with those three particular characteristics, and he also tempted Jesus as well. Eve in the garden, and Jesus in the wilderness. Now, he can work in a variety of ways. It's beyond me. It's beyond what we see, because remember, we're fighting an unseen battle in many respects. But we must be confident to understand that God has provided a way out. And whatever he's coming at us with is all well and good. Let's be mindful and not ignorant of his schemes. But do understand our God. When it comes to temptation, we must understand this truth. That there is no temptation overtaking you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. But with the temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So do not think you are so high and mighty that you will not need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth on a consistent basis, and we'll look at the rest. But understand what this says. God is faithful, will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we were able, but will provide a way of escape. We understand something about temptation, James 1.14. Each one is tempted when they're carried away or lured away and enticed. Not so much by Satan, by our own lust. Satan works in this accord visually in many respects. So we must understand how he's going to come. He's going to try and tempt you. He's going to bring temptation. Be prepared for that. The second thing he does and works in accord with temptation is deception. It's deception. Satan is masterful about making the unrighteous look righteous. 
Satan is a master deceiver. And he also can be a counterfeit. So we must be mindful. Satan will do what he's able to do. And what's he able to do? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He empowers many false teachers in this age, then and now. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No wonder for even Satan masquerades. That word can be considered masquerading. Now, with this deception, he's good at it. It's powerful. It's supernatural to some extent because we see something in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 about something to happen in the latter days, whenever that may be. There is one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders. And Timothy even tells us, 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, giving attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now we are not insinuating, at least I'm not, nor the Scriptures, that you will lose your salvation. But make no mistake, the path of righteousness, you can be derailed for a season. We don't want that. Let's be wise with that. Okay. Now, how is he going to deceive you? How is he going to tempt you? He's going to allure you with something that looks good. He's going to make unrighteousness look righteous, like I said. You see, Satan can serve you poison. How many of you are dessert people? Okay, Some of you, well, Thursday night, we got the answer to that. There's quite a few that come to that Thursday night class of dessert people. But I just want you to picture something for a minute. You take a dessert, your favorite dessert. You take a gourmet dessert, and inside that dessert is poison. But outside, you have cherries, whipped cream. See, he entices it. He makes it look so good. And then, when we're enticed, as James tells us, by our own lust, it gives birth to sin. So don't underestimate his deception. Now, there is also what we see in our world today, a counterfeit righteousness, because he is deceived. When you see the virtue signaling that we see, when you see people standing up for animal rights, turtle rights, bird rights, if you kill an eagle, you'll be arrested. But yet, look at the slaughter of those in the womb. You see his deception? You see what's going on in this world? He's a counterfeit. He's a deceiver. But the third thing we want to look at today is something we spent a little more time in, and that is the accusations. He is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 9 and 10. Now, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're better able to stand firm against temptation. We're better able to see the deception as well. But we must have holy affections. Talk about that in a minute. But first of all, standing up to his accusations. The righteousness of Christ given to us. Though we sin, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But shall we go on sinning so grace may abound? May it never be. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We still Unfortunately, 
sin. And that is an area where we see in the scriptures that Satan can come and accuse. We saw it in our opening. One of his main weapons of choice is that this word devil, he's a slanderer. And he will accuse you before the throne of God. He will somehow, maybe, speak to others in a congregation to sow discord, to accuse people falsely, and sometimes to accuse people of unrighteousness. But understand one thing about the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness that you have is imputed to you. And we are working out from the practical to positional. And therefore, we can stand up to any accusation of Satan. He will use lies against you. Sometimes he will use truth as well. There might have been something you said this morning. There might have been something you did last week, last year, that you still haven't really reconciled it. Now, where is Satan accusing you? Does he have access to your mind? He's accusing you probably before the throne of God. We saw that in Zechariah. We see that in Job chapter 1. But for somehow, if there's any guilt in you, if you don't understand the righteousness of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ, hear this. Romans 8, 31, 34. If there's accusations against you and you've repented, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But... If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've done that, and if Christ has died for you and you receive this atonement, hear this, Romans 8, 31, 34. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and intercedes for you. Settle that today. Settle that today, understanding the righteousness of Christ. Maybe you were brought up in religion. That'll do you no good. The righteousness of Christ that has been given to you is the breastplate. Put it on, wear it daily. So who will bring a charge against God's elect? We saw the vision of the high priest today in Zechariah. And there's a couple of things about that. The Lord gave the prophet Zechariah this vision to Joshua the high priest. And Joshua, as we looked in the text, wasn't completely clean. He had dirty garments. And thereby, when we sin, sometimes Satan can come and accuse us in some capacity. I'm still working this out. In some capacity. But he comes to accuse. He tells us that in no way can we be forgiven by God. He may say there's no way you can be used by God. He may say God has cast you off. You did it that time. You crossed the line. Now, there are some things we must be mindful of. Well, let's never get to a point where we're even thinking we crossed the line. But do you understand who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is Christ who died and gave us this righteousness. 
He tells us how the Lord responded to the accusation in verse 2. The Lord rebuked Satan in this text, and the Lord then closed Joshua with a clean robe. As we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we often see the depicted images. And in our Christian colloquialisms, and in our jargon, we say, the robe of righteousness. Well, he's given you a robe of righteousness. He's given you more than you deserve, but you're very special in God's eyes. The book of Ephesians teaches us that. If you're one of these people who says, I never deserve it, I'm so miserable, I'm so... I would get past that. I'd look at the promises of God in Ephesians, and I would rejoice. I would rejoice with this righteousness. And I do what I can to protect myself against the temptation, against these, certainly the deception we're seeing, and the accusations of well. Okay. So one of the things about putting on this breastplate of righteousness. Again, had some conversations yesterday with some of the brothers. How is it that you prepare yourself for each day? How is it that you prepare yourself to walk in this world, to walk in this life in Christ? We don't want to wait for the hour of battle to load our guns spiritually, so to say. We want to be dressed and ready. We all want to be armed for the fight. But one of the things we want to look at is our affections. Do you have righteous affections, holy affections? Now, you have the righteousness of Christ if you're in Christ. But do you find yourself sometimes, your heart wandering? You find yourself sometimes entertaining forms of idolatry. Don't underestimate that. It's not the con- condemnation. I say this for myself. But we want to keep our affections righteous. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness, keeping righteous af- affections. We want to pray for the empowerment of God as well. Paul prayed for this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. We want to be, become aware of the decisions that we make. We want to have God's righteousness permeating through obedience in the word by the Holy Spirit. If I could just have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the favor of God, you could have billions and millions of dollars. You could have that. Give me that favor of God, that empowerment, so I may walk this life. And that's something that we have to aspire to as well. We have to do our due diligence. We must put on. That's intentional. We must take action with that. So the consequence of not putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we're going into a fight. We use the MMA illustration. If you're going in with a boxer and you've got your hands behind your back, you're not doing yourself any favors. We've got to have our hands up. We've got to be ready. A lack of holiness. Is there a lack of holiness in your life? Holiness and righteousness synonymous. Is it something that we've kind of lost touch with? Have we wandered a little bit from the path of righteousness? Today's a day of communion and we'll have that time of meditation. It's between you and God. So there is conviction. And, And one thing I want to tell you, you've seen... 
you've seen the scenes, maybe you think in your mind, you know, the car goes in the forest, you run out of gas, there's no cell phone signal, and you're waiting to be rescued. You're waiting for someone. It's never like that with your God. How far have you gone? There's still that signal. There's still Christ. He is available. Call out to your high priest, your intercessor today, if you've wandered from the path of righteousness. Now, we spoke about accusation. There may be a conviction here today. How do we know the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and Satan's accusation? It's, it's a little vague, but I'll tell you what I think. The Holy Spirit will expose your sin. The Holy Spirit will draw you to truth. He will draw you to Christ. The Holy Spirit will cause you to confess. The Holy Spirit will cause you to relinquish and repent. And do understand the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father, Son, and Spirit will restore you to Himself. The Holy Spirit will always point you to Christ. The Holy Spirit will lead you into newness of life while Satan will cause direction, digression. You see, when we're putting on the new self, that's the Holy Spirit. When we put on the old self, that's digression. That's the flesh, that's the world, that's Satan. So the Holy Spirit will, need you, will lead you into newness of life. And in God's conviction, understand this. You are accepted. You are accepted in the heavenlies, in the beloved. What Satan will do, if he has some capacity to put these thoughts, everyone's doing it. It's not so bad. And then when you do it, he accuses you even more. He will condemn you. The Holy Spirit will bring a new hatred of sin. So, just a couple of points of reflection. Examine your affections today. Now, while putting on the full armor of God that each Christian has, you have to ask, is there a crack in the armor? Is there a crack in the breastplate of righteousness? As I said. And if you have wandered from the path of righteousness, understand what I had said. We took it, look at it in the language of Psalm 23.3. God restores my soul he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's not out of touch. Today we get this right if that's the case. Let's get back on track. And when we're pursuing righteous affections, there's some things, like I said, we ought not to pursue. 1 Timothy 6.11 But flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you have been called to. Do you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Are you, in society's eyes, in your upbringing's eyes, in your family, in your own eyes, somewhat okay the way you are? Have you come out of Roman Catholicism, quite frankly? And will you have the mindset that this born-again stuff is for people that are really don't have it together? 
people that are on drugs, people that were in jail. You hear that so often. I want to point you to a Pharisee by the name of Saul. Pretty much had his act together. Very reputable man in the Jewish faith. For that matter, a man by the name of Nicodemus. But when it, Paul says something here in Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Paul spent a very good portion of his adult life trying to please God. Trying to be religious. And he comes to a realization that that's not how it goes. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And I'm going to leave you with something here that the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 7 to 11. And if that's you here today, and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, consider what this religious person did. But whatever things were gained to me, those things have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And verse 9, And I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain resurrection from the dead. If you have not the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Bible's clear, you are dead in sin and transgressions. If you're not sure what this is, again, please see me. If you've come in here today without fully surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get to that celestial city. You're not going to have that inheritance. Please, surrender your life today. Come see Pastor George and myself after service, if in fact that is you. No more fooling around here. It's time. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord, for you have provided for us, Lord, the righteous requirements that only Christ could fulfill. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us and have given us everything we need. And Father, I pray for those here today who have not surrendered their life. I pray, Lord, that they would put on this robe of righteousness that's given to those who have accepted Christ as Lord. May this be today. Amen.